Okay. Okay. A uh, 13 year old male, he's complaining of left hip pain. What's the diagnosis? Um, it looks like he has a skiffy. Okay. What does that stand for? That stands for a, uh, I forget what it stands for, but it's, when you have, it's like when you have avascular necrosis of the humeral head. Okay. It can lead to avascular necrosis. What, what, what specifically are you seeing oh, on this? So you're, so you're basically seeing it's like a salter. It's basically a it's a slip of the epiphysis on the metaphysis, right? right. So it's a slipped capital oh, epi yeah, yeah. femoral epiphysis. Yeah. So this is skiffy. Um, so basically, it's usually a medial slip, and the patients will present um, shortened. What's the typical patient rod that comes in during this? Uh, Overweight 13 year old or so. Boys are usually between the ages of 12 to 16, and then girls are a little bit younger. Um, and, but boys are greater than girls. So this is more common in boys, but girls are usually a little bit younger. And it can happen bilaterally in about 10 to 20% of patients. So if someone comes in, say they got their first skiffy when they were 12 and they're 16 now and they're complaining of other side pain, have a very high index of suspicion. Um, workup is AP and frog leg views. And then these Klein lines are a way to detect these when you're doing the x-ray. And that's basically a line across the lateral. So basically from here, to here, so you're going to kind of go over this lateral aspect um, of the femoral neck here, and then um, across, what, what am I calling that? That's the, just the femoral epiphysis. Um, so basically you just kind of draw a line here, and this should line up. See how it's lined up on this side? How this line across here kind of lines up with the head, and then here, this is slipped. So that's just a good way um, when you're doing the x-ray to, to figure out if um, someone has a skippy. Um, so, uh, Shannon, patient has a Fouch um, injury. That's their mechanism fall on outstretched hand. You see what the injury might be here. See any abnormality at all? Yeah, it looks like the, let's see, that would be the ulnar head. Okay. The ulnar head's okay. Okay, I'll blow it up a little bit. There you go. Anybody else see anything? Scaphoid fracture. Okay. So right here. It's a little tiny scaphoid fracture. So, um, oh, oops. God, my pregnancy balance has been a little bad. Um, I totally ate it in front of Langdorf the other day, too. It, he was kind of like in a bad mood when he came in, and then I fell, and like suddenly he was in a good mood for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just keep falling. <laughs> if any of you are having a bad day, just let me know. I can make it happen. Um, <laughs> so, follow-up question for this guy. 26-year-old male, he falls while snowboarding. Um, either radiographs are normal in this case, so, so not the same radiographs, but exam, he has snap box tenderness. Um, what's the appropriate disposition, Shannon? Yeah, so actually, so there, there's some controversy on whether a thumb spica actually improves like the incidence of avascular necrosis, actually, but it's our standard care. So if someone comes in with snuffbox tenderness, it is standard of care. And more than anything, it just kind of reminds them, yes, I do have an injury in this wrist, and I need, and I need follow-up within seven <laughs> days, like, because I have a splint on. And it kind of just, it, that's more than anything what, it, what it's probably doing and how it's probably protecting you medically legally, but um, it's the right thing to do. But it doesn't necessarily decrease their morbidity. Um, so thumb spike on and they need re-imaging. That can be with a PMD or that can be ortho within a week. So 15% so. Um, um, so of scaphoid fractures aren't seen on initial imaging and so that's why we do the follow-up imaging. 
um, within a week. I'm just a mess today. Sorry, guys. My phone's going off. Is it in there? Okay. Um, so a mobilization for 10 to 14 days and then basically a repeat imaging. But it, it, if in seven days they see their PMD and they're having absolutely no pain at all, no tenderness, they probably, the PMD will probably forego imaging and just take them out of the split. Um, and then a normal bone scan can rule out the fracture. So that's the 100% sensitivity thing. Can a CT? I don't think a CT can. Um, I, I haven't seen any particular studies, but huh? I wonder what the I wonder what the sensitivity of CT is. That's a good question. Does anybody in the audience know what the sensitivity of CT is? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <coughs> Does it always have to be a thumb spike or splint, or could it be one of those Velcro wrist splint jobs that just hold it there? Um, technically, it should be a splint. Technically. Um, but, I mean, if you didn't have any plaster or anything, that'd be the second best thing. But th technically, I would do a splint. Mm -hmm. you, want, you want to mobilize the thumb. Then right. Then the velcro splints don't mobilize the thumb. <coughs> exactly. I had, I had a, a violinist with <coughs> Oh, really? Plain films were negative. I did CT him. But he didn't want to be put in the splint unless it was absolutely necessary. Gotcha. I, I considered the CT to be 100% sensitive, and it was negative, and I didn't splint him. Okay. I haven't seen the numbers on that. Great. But Great. you can't CT somebody in ED. Whatever you think might be broken, it doesn't show up like Great. Um, okay, so osteonecrosis is the thing that you're trying to present. Um, and basically, avascular necrosis is seen in about 3% of scaphoid fractures. Um, and that basically leads to severe arthritis, and that's what you're trying to prevent. Um, so what are some risk factors associated with avascular necrosis, Yalda? Of any bone, doesn't have to be scaphoid, could be any bone. Fracture. Fracture. Poor perfusion stuff. Osteoporosis. Osteoporosis. Steroid use. Sickle cell. Someone say sickle cell? So idiopathic just happens randomly sometimes. Trauma. Steroid use, like you guys said. Alcoholism. Um, and I'm not quite sure why alcoholism, maybe because you're falling and you don't know that you <laughs> fracture things, but um, I'm actually not quite sure why that is. Um, it, may, it might have to do with immune, immune stuff. Um, sickle cell disease, dysparism, so basically you're scuba diving and then you come back up. Um, chronic pancreatitis and then collagen vascular disease. Uh, common sites of osteonecrosis. So a hip is a common site of osteonecrosis. So scaphoid, we already said. A hip is another site. And this is common following a femoral neck fracture, but it can happen idiopathic in just the male, like, 30-year-old guy. So this can be just random in some people. Um, but it uh, often happens following femoral neck fractures in older, in older people. Uh, and then humerus, think of sickle cell disease. So this is another site of osteonecrosis, or avascular necrosis. And then primary osteonecrosis of the knee happens in elderly females. So those are just some other sites that you need to think about. So humerus, sickle cell, avascular necrosis of the knee is um, elderly people, and then scaphoid following trauma, and then hip can either be following a femoral neck fra fracture or it can be following just your idiopathic and 37-year-old 30, guy. Um, and then lunate 
is also possible. So it's another fracture that is susceptible to these, these type of injuries. Um, and they won't often recall the traumatic episode. So the patients, so it, they'll have fallen at some point, and they actually won't recall it. Um, and this happens in 20%, so this is actually more common than scaphoid fractures. But it's a less common fracture than scaphoid fractures. Okay, so this is a four-year-old male. He's been limping for two months. And who's next? Christian. Um, so that right hip looks kind of like mm -hmm. and sclerotic and not smooth. Yes, agreed. Um, I think he would have AVN of that right hip. Yeah, and what's uh, the I eponym? Perthes, yeah, exactly. So this is like Calvay Perthes, um, and this is AVN of the femoral head, and Christian was right, and that right hip kind of looked a little bit moth-eaten. This is 3 to 12 years old, so this is a different age group than skiffies. Skiffies are the 12 and up, but this can follow technically a skiffy because you can get avascular necrosis of that femoral head, but it happens idiopathically in the younger kids. So if it's following a skiffy, it would be in an older group, but randomly... Um, Randomly, it happens in 3 to 12-year-olds. But most of them are in that 4 to 9 range. So if it's someone at 12 years old, just that's kind of on your extreme. Start thinking about whether or not this is, it was following a skiffy. Um, and then basically, they'll present with limp and pain for weeks to months. So you might not see it initially on the initial plain radiographs. There's not a ton that you can do for these kids. You want to immobilize them. Um, but if you miss it, on the first time, like if they come into the emergency department and they're limping and you can't figure out why and their x-ray looks normal and you don't think they have a septic hip, it would be reasonable to have them follow up with their PMD. So if you missed something like this on initial presentation, it wouldn't be like the ultimate ter most terrible thing ever. So um, basically you get a smaller femoral head, like you said, and then increased opacification of the femoral head. So it's like a little bit darker. Can you go back on that? Yeah. Uh, this one or the previous the one? The first one that shows both sides. The right one kind of, I agree, it looks like a little bit funny. Um, but it might just be because he's growing and the growth plates are there. But the, the right one, but I agree the left one looks a little bit like maybe he has some early bilateral stuff going on. Okay. So 14-year-old boy. Because is idiopathic, so when you think that both sides probably be affected. About 10 to 20% of the time. No. Yeah. Any reason why? Any reason why it, they're both affected? No, because I would think they're normally both affected because if it's not caused by trauma or something else, right. you would think both sides would be affected. Well, it's like Skiffy's idiopathic yeah. too. You know, I mean, well, Skiffy, you have like a, a mild trauma. Yeah. So it's probably similar here. It's kind of like a Skiffy in the sense that it's oh. idiopathic, but it could happen on both sides. So it'd be more random to happen twice. It's not like, but yes, I see what you're saying. But it's yeah. just kind of, it's a random thing that's happening anyways, and so it's even more random for it to happen twice on, on each hip. They don't know why it's necessarily happening. Um, so a 14-year-old boy has right hip, uh, Wes, I think you're up, has right hip and knee pain for three weeks, denies trauma, fevers or chills, vital signs are normal, holding his right hip in mild external rotation. What's the most likely diagnosis? Transient synovitis, skiffy, Leg calf perthes, septic arthritis, hip avulsion fracture. It's a B on this one. Perfect. So skiffy. 
So he's 14. He's right in the, the right age range. Um, he, we didn't write it in the scenario, but on the boards, they'd probably say that he's obese. Okay, so this is your differential diagnosis of a kid with a limp. So skiffy, leg cap pertes, which Christian was talking about. That's um, avascular necrosis. Transient synovitis, when does that happen, Wes? After a viral infection. After a viral infection. It usually just causes hip pain, right? Exactly. Pain. Yeah, usually it doesn't cause any pain. But it's hard to distinguish sometimes in like a three-year-old kid. You don't know if their knee's hurting, you don't know if their hip's hurting, and they can't really well localize it for you. Um, septic arthritis, though, with transient synovitis is the thing that you need to rule out. And you can rule that out usually with like an ultrasound to see if there's an infusion there. And then you're not going to be the one to ever tap those. It's either going to be interventional radiology or ortho. And it's usually interventional radiology. It's not usually ortho that taps these. Can you rule out like ESR and CRP or is that going to... ESR and CRP are good. ESR I think is sensitive. I think it's got like a 90% sensitivity. So it's good, but it's not 100%. But if the kid just had a viral infection and if he looked really well and he didn't have a fever and he had a normal ESR... I might send him home with close outpatient follow-up. So depending on the clinical scenario. Um, osteomyelitis, obviously think about in any kid with a fever or sickle cell or any kid for that matter. Um, especially if they're having a lot of point tenderness. Um, think about that. Leukemia and then fracture, trauma, non-accidental trauma. Speaking of fractures, um, a nine-year-old girl fell off her skateboard and she sustained a distal radius fracture. What type of Salter-Harris fracture is this? Mervis. Type 2 with low potential for growth rest, type 2 with high potential for growth rest, type 3 with some potential for growth rest, type 4 with low potential for growth rest, type 3, or sorry, type 4 with high potential for growth rest. Um, there's a lot of options there. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean... You can just tell me what type it is first. So I think that just going right through, not crossing over the other places, that make it a type 2. So what? So what's involved? It's the epiphysis or the metaphysis? The epiphysis. The epiphysis. Okay, so that makes it a little... So the metaphysis is kind of the least thing that you can break, and then the epiphysis is a little bit more. So the epiphysis would make it a type 3 rather than a type 1. Um, so And then so the answer is type 3. And so the reason the Salter-Harris were generated is because they're basically a staging way of saying how much growth rest potential does this fracture have. So a type 1 has the least amount of growth rest potential, and a type 5 has the highest potential for growth rest. And so there's two ways that you can remember this. This is the easiest way. This is what James Howard taught me three years ago, and I thought that this was the best one, because I used to be using this, and this is kind of confusing, because it's like above, low, through, entire, like I don't know if it's above, like is the epiphysis above or what, but this one's kind of nice, the metaphysis, epiphysis. So it's M plus E equals me, so... One, you can't detect with radiographs, right? That's what, why we splint kids when we say, well, I don't know, there might be a small growth plate fracture that I don't see right now. That's why we put splints on kids that we don't see any fractures, so that's a type 1. Type 2, it's just the metaphysis, so that's the M. Type 3, it's just the epiphysis, so that's the E. And then type 4, it's both the metaphysis and the epiphysis, so it's me. And, so, and then those go in order of, and then, and then 5 is just crushed. So that's an order of basically your occurrence of growth rest. Oh, wait, hold on. No, sorry. This is your occurrence of um, just how often it happens, but then your occurrence for growth rest increases as you go through your types. So type 1, nothing on radiographs. Type 2, metaphysis. Type 3, epiphysis. Type 4, metaphysis plus epiphysis. And then type 5 is crushed. Okay. The most common is a type 2. 
and probably a type 1, but we just don't ever see it, so who knows. Okay, so which type is this? And I'll help you because the fracture is there. I think it's that whole thing. So which type is that? Um, Rod. Um, I don't. I don't really see it. Was it right there? In the, it's right there in this. The space? I know it's kind of hard. Oh, right here. Sorry, it's here. Great. So that's a type four. Oh, um, that okay. Was that? And I then. Now, I know it was. It's kind of a bad picture. I apologize. Um, which type is this? And I will say it's just this one right here. There's nothing more because that's kind of a bad picture. So what's that, Shannon? Three. So three or what? What part of the bone is involved? Uh, two. Two. So it's the metaphysis. So it's so just the metaphysis. It's right here, and it doesn't go through the epiphysis. So it's just here. Well, that would be oh, yeah, two. So metaphysis. So type two. Okay, so we said this. And this is in Spanish, so for those of you that need it in Spanish. I thought that you would get that. Tipo cinco. In frequente. Okay. So let's get some international downloads on iTunes. I did. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. This is for our Latino friends. Um, perfect. All right. So moving up to the next, stable versus unstable fractures. So Yalda, this is a 40-year-old guy that was shoveling snow. And is this a stable or an unstable fracture? Uh, shoveling snow, I think, is unstable. So show, tell me where the fracture is. Do you see it? Anybody see where the fracture is? Like the spinous process is like six. Oh, yeah. So, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So this right there. So, this is a clay shoveler's fracture, and this is a stable fracture. So, any spinous process fracture really is pretty stable. So, this is an avulsion injury, and it's basically from that, like, this little mechanism. So, that's why it's called a clay shoveler's fracture. So, and it's an avulsion injury. Um, this one? Stable or unstable, Dr. Maloshik? <laughs> looks pretty good. <laughs> what, the, what type of fracture is this? Sorry. Do you know? That's a hangman's, yeah. So it's a fracture of the posterior elements of C2. So this is a hangman's fracture right here. So you see that C2 is kind of pushed forward there. Um, so, mnemonic for which ones are the unstable fracture. And they'll ask, they will ask this on the in-service. They'll say, which which one of these is unstable? So just remember this. So Jefferson bit off a hangman's thumb. Okay. So Jefferson, being a burst fracture of C2, um, bit off is burst fracture and then a bilateral facet dislocation. So if you have two facet dislocations, that's unstable. Um, off is a dontoid two and three. So those are the unstable ones. Um, any fracture with a dislocation so you can either remember the A or not, but if it's associated with a dislocation, it's obviously unstable. Hangman's, we just talked about it, posterior elements of C1, and a teardrop fracture. And so that's like when the body is involved with a teardrop fracture. So the Jefferson is when, oh, you're going to show it again? Oh, um... Jefferson's the one that it, come, it comes out that way? Basic, yeah, that's, w so that's when you're going to see your lateral masses that are displaced on your odontoid view. And then the two and the three is basically 
where it is on the odontoid view of the dens. So I'll go over it right now. I'll go over it right now. How's that? <laughs> stable or unstable? So Christian, tell me this one. Um, it looks like the base of the, so it doesn't look like the first Jefferson. Right. So you're so this, right? Like, yeah. Okay. So um, that's a, what type of fracture? It's, I think it would be unstable just because it's right. broken at the base of the odontoid. Yeah. So that's a, a dontoid 3 then. So that's the highest. Um, so this is a dontoid 3, and that's because it's at the base of the odontoid. Um, let me see if I have a slide. So, I don't have a picture. Darn it, sorry. So basically, um, type 3 is like within the body of C2, and it's kind of like there and here. Whereas a type 2 is kind of like right here, and then type 1 is just kind of anything up at the top. So type 2 and 3 are the ones that are the most unstable. Okay. Stable or unstable, West. Um, I'm going to say unstable. Great. And how would you describe that fracture? What kind of what would you call it if you were calling neurosurgery or ortho? I mean, so is that a full on burst or is that like an answer? One, two, three, four, five, six. Wedge fracture. So. so it's one of the unstable ones, starts with a T. A teardrop? Yeah, so this is a teardrop fracture of C5. So if you were calling your consultant, you'd say it's a teardrop fracture of C5 and that's unstable. Um, so this is basically from someone extremely flexing their neck like this. And the yeah? a teardrop and wedge. A teardrop Is there a difference between a teardrop and a wedge fracture? Do you guys know the answer to this? I don't think there is a difference. A teardrop is where a piece separates okay. from the main body. Uh -huh. It almost looks like a teardrop falling off of the main okay. body. Whereas a wedge, the main mass is all in one piece but it's crushed more on one side than the other. Gotcha. It could actually be associated with one. Yeah, so this is like the teardrop then right here, and then the wedge is like there. So okay. The wedge is not only stable, unless it's more than 50% compression. So it's like compression pressure, essentially. <laughs> Thank you, Sushar and Ying. Um, so that's your mnemonic again. Okay. Pseudo-subluxation. I hate talking about this. Oh, hi. How are you? Good. 